Hi, this is Gary York, founder of GGG Ministry. For the past nine years, my wife Gail and I have been hosting tent revivals in Waterman, Illinois, where the body of believers can come and encounter the presence of God and are encouraged to go out and minister to the world around them. We hope you enjoy this short message from our recent gathering this summer. For more on GGG, connect with us on our website, gggministry.com. You know, before it rains, you can smell the rain. You understand? Last night, we smelt it, and then we got hit by it. Uh, you know, the air changes. You can smell it. You know that I can smell priests. True priesthood, I can smell them. And, that's, and I don't mean literally. I don't know how. It's a discernment. They used to carry oil that would go on their garments. And it was made after the art of the apothecary. And it had, it had a certain, certain ingredients. How many of you want to ever learn about the oil, the anointing? That was terrible. Anybody want to learn about I'm not preaching it now. But the anointing would be made after the art of the apothecary. And it would use the ingredients. And then they would mix these ingredients and they would grind them and pour, put them into oil. And it would be poured and mixed into the oil. And God said, make sure that the measurement of the myrrh is twice as much as the measurement of frankincense. So God was very specific on how to make the, the oil mixed in with these ingredients if you, have, if you have the same amount of frankincense as you do myrrh, which is bitterness, it's too sweet. And sweetness attracts flies. That's why anointed people have issues. There's not been enough, there's not been enough bitterness. They haven't been through enough in their life. And when I meet, and it, it, it carries a certain aroma. I've actually literally seen, it's, it's, a, it's a mixture Back home, they would actually pour it, and it does, it's a mixture, and it has a certain smell. It's a bitter sweet, but more bitter. And God would pour it on the head of the priest, six quarts. It would come down his head on his beard, and it would get into the fabric of his garment. And the way that God would anoint sons was that he would take the garment, put it on the son's shoulders, and it, it carried an aroma that only the priests could smell like. And so when I smell a priest, I can tell if it's too much cinnamon. <laughs> there's a certain behavior that comes with too much cinnamon. There's a little bit of arrogance. There's a little bit of what? I'm not going to go there. Uh, and it's just a matter of time before the fly lands on them. And there's demonic activities that take place. But once in a while, you come across people that have got some, some myrrh on them. You don't know what they've been through, but they've been through something. And anytime God's going to use a man greatly, he breaks him greatly. The lowest grounds receive the most water. And so when there's ever, ever the spirit of humility that you sense on someone's life, it's because God has done some work. And when I met this man, I could feel, I could smell it. And so he's ministering in the morning, I can't wait. But if you, I've never heard him, so I'm looking forward to hearing him this, tomorrow morning, and I'm going to be pulling on you, my brother. So would you just thank the Lord for this man of God that is here? And you know, he's only been married, he's only been married uh, three months, 
They're holding each other's hands right now. It's, it's just pathetic because my wife, I've been married 40 years and usually there's a gap between us grandchildren. And if I hold her hand, she'll ask me, what, what do you want? I just want to hold your hand. Remember, we used to do that. All right. Are you ready for the word? Genesis chapter 2. And I, I'm going to do my best tonight because when I received this word, I said to Gary, um, I, I preached the one that this morning. How many of you were, were not here this morning? How many of you that were here think they should hear what, what the Lord brought this morning? I want to encourage you, and I, I don't know how else to do this, but um, I, have, I have spent many years studying the scriptures, not because I want to preach, but I've always had a lot of questions, and I, I've actually written my questions down to the Lord, and I would ask God, why did you put a tree in the garden when you didn't want men to eat of it and put it in the middle of the garden? And why did you put a tree where you made it so obvious you didn't put a fence around it and protect it and tell man, listen, this thing is going to kill you, so I'm going to put a fence on it. Even evil people will put some sort of a light that tells you danger. This thing, you touch it, it's going to kill you. Anytime there's any power or any poison, you know, there is at least some protection. God puts it in the middle of the garden and puts a serpent on it. Why don't you put the serpent on Mars? What do we need the devil for anyway? And if I came from you, wouldn't it have been easier if you would have just kind of left me alone? But why come out, come into this world, fight a devil? Um, do you know that I did not know there was a devil until I went to church? I never heard so much about a devil until I went to church. And now, you know, you're, you're, the devil is after you and the devil knows and the devil, the devil, the devil, the devil. I, got be, I became nervous. And I'm, I, you know, I used to think the devil is opposite God. So you got two powers and I'm stuck in the middle and hope to God I can make it, you know, before I die. And we have preachers come to the church and say, now if you kids are not behaving right on Saturday night and God shows up on Sunday morning and you die, you make sure that you repent so every Sunday I'd get saved again. Because, you know, I had to repent in case he showed up. And I remember one preacher saying, if you were to walk out of the church and a bus ran you over, where are you going? And I thought, there's no buses in this neighborhood. But, you know, with my luck, there'll be a bus this morning, so I better repent. So, uh, you know, you grow up with all of these type of condemnations. And so I would put my questions before God. To understand, I just didn't understand. And I got to a point, and I know I make fun of it, but, but the reality is I got to a point where I was so almost tormented, needing answers, that when I would go to church and I would ask preachers, and I mean names you would recognize preachers, asking them, why did God do this? Why did God create man knowing man is going to fall? Or did the devil fool God? I need to know what's the point of a tree in the middle of a garden that God not know man was going to eat of it before he made him. You all with me? You know, I don't, have you ever thought of any of this stuff? 
And so I would go to the preachers and ask them, and they would say, you'll find out when you get to heaven. And I was like, you know what? I don't know if I'm going to make it. And so, you know, you're, you, you come out of heaven. You, I would hear we were chosen in God. I believed it before the foundation of the world, but you better behave so you can make it back in. So I got 50-50 cents, you know. And I mean, Jesus was kind of the, my ticket. You know, I got saved because I was given an offer. I'm not stupid. You know, eternal damnation and torment and a thousand demons poking in your eye. Or you get to live next to Benny Hinn on Golden Streets. And I'm just thinking, I'm a, you know, with a mansion. Have you ever noticed Christians always want the big house, the mansion, and the gold because they're greedy on earth and don't have it. So they're going to die. So I thought, you know what? Shoot me now so I can get it so I don't take any chances on the tormentation. And so I used to always think, why, why not have an altar call? <laughs> Ask Jesus to forgive you, get washed by the blood, and then shoot everybody. But you know, as an Arab, that's not a good thing to say publicly in America. <laughs> and so... I would have questions about God. And so I would study. <laughs> Help me, Jesus. So I, I, would, I would study to just get my mind to where I'm no longer tormented and not thinking I'm going to die. And it's not about heaven or hell. And one day I was studying and the Lord said to me, what if, and, and listen, don't, don't jump to any conclusions. He asked me, he said, no, what if, what if, and by this point, you know, I'm ministering, I'm serving, I'm involved in ministry. He said, what if I was to tell you this whole thing about heaven and hell, I was kidding. When you die, it's over, that's it. There's no heaven, there's no hell. Now there is, there is, okay, you religious people, just, there is, but what if, would you still serve me? Would you still love me? Talk to me. Would you still serve him? If God took away heaven or hell, would your life, what's the motivation of your salvation? I came to know Jesus to get out of hell. But then it didn't matter anymore. And I thought, can I say this? The hell with hell. I just want to know Jesus. Someone say something. And so when I began to look for Jesus, and I learned we've been restored. We've been restored back. And I've told you this before. Let's just say for a moment, this pulpit is the tree of good and evil. And all that took place after the tree of good and evil is the fall of man. All the darkness that came on man. All the, all the sorrow. All the torment. All the dark. All the evil. Why we need salvation. Why we need to be saved. But in Christ, we were brought back to our beginning. We were restored. Renewed. Say renewed. So that means you're back new again. You've been redeemed. And therefore, I began to study on what we had before the fall. So if I was a sinner before, after the, after the tree... And I've been restored back. I'm no longer a sinner. I'm a new creation. Okay, that didn't go very good. 
Anyone here a newborn believer? Is there anyone here saved? Have you been restored? Have you been renewed? You are no longer, you are not saved by grace. You were. Stop singing the song. It's nice. But now you are a new creation. Born from above. Completely restored. The old man or the old nature has been buried. You've been raised into a newness of life. You got to get your mind back to where it belongs. Help me a little. And therefore, we are no longer sinners. We are a new creation. Here's the problem. When you are restored, you kept your old memory. God did not give you amnesia. So you would know the way in which he brought you. And now what you need is to renew your mind. The problem is here. God already sees you from your completion. God deals with you from your completion. Why God is so patient is because he is fellowshipping with your completion. It's finished. Say it's finished. But where you are is still mixing it up over here, dealing with past and dealing with old mindsets and habits and old way of thinking. And so God is looking to renew your mind to what is already true in you. And therefore, we got to come back to what man had. Follow this carefully. Genesis chapter 2, if you would go there quickly. Anybody hungry? So I need you to come back with me to our Genesis. And in Genesis chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Does it say that? All the host is all the, those populating heaven and earth. You are finished before you started. Got it? And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. Why? Because that in it, he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. I want you to listen to very carefully. God blesses the seventh day, sets it apart, sanctified it, because he has finished from all his work. What was his work? Listen, the heavens and the earth were finished, and all those inhabitants of them. On the seventh day, God ends his work, rests on the Sabbath, the seventh day from all his work which he had made, and then blesses that Sabbath. He does what? Now, I want you to listen to these words as if though you've never studied it. Because when God made the heavens, he made the heavens and the earth at the same time. You all with me? There was no heavens or earth, and he made them together. I just need you to follow this carefully. The earth is the reflection of the reality of heaven. This is important. Earth is the manifestation, the encounter, the experience of heaven's reality. Heaven and earth 
are the same thing. One is the shadow of the essence. You all with me? You are a physical being. Who you are is not your physical appearance. Who you are is what's on the inside of you. And therefore you are spirit first. And your spirit joined to a soul through which the conduit of your thinking that is manifest in your body. But you are a triune one whole being heaven and earth is that which is in the spirit the realm of god how real how real is jesus to you talk to me would you say jesus is more real to you than the person sitting next to you that was not very good let's try that one more time is jesus more real to you than the person sitting next to you you've never seen him You've never sat down at a cup of coffee. You've never had a text. You've never had a conversation on the phone. Don't tell me he sat with you watch TV because you'd be weird. I mean, I know you experienced Jesus, but literally, physically speaking, we've never seen him. And yet, out of the realm of the unseen, we have a reality, an experience that makes us weep when we think of his name. That reality is the heavens revealed in the physical as a shadowing or an expression of the invisible spirit. God makes heaven and earth at the same time. When man was created in Genesis 1, he had no formation. Please listen. Genesis 1, God creates man in his image and likeness and generations. These were the generations, if you read verse 4 of Genesis 2 you will find that the seven day period I'll touch that in a second where these were generations it wasn't Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday it was seven periods of generations follow carefully this is why it's important that we don't just listen to how we've been raised and what we've been told but you really got to study the scriptures someone say study you can't read the Bible you got to study the scriptures and so when God creates man in his image and likeness, man is a spirit being. Man was not formed until after the Sabbath. Genesis 2-7, God forms the man that he fellowshiped with in spirit. When man was formed, follow carefully, and he became a physical being, heaven and earth were all open to him. There was no barrier in his thinking, in his vision, in his understanding. He could hear, smell God in the garden. And so there was... An open heaven to where both domains were equally visible to his experience. And so once man fell, he became separated from the realm of the, of the, of the unseen from which everything came. Nothing in this visible, visible world came from anything physical. The Word of God says everything that was made is made by something, a force, a power, the spirit of it that came from the realm of the unseen. Are, are you all with me? Yes? No? So just so you can get a clear view, man had access to having complete visibility from the heavens into the reality of the earth and he can encounter it. This is why he knew what to name the animals. It was Adam that actually named his wife because that which is the God in him, 
he was able to see God and see his wife and encounter both having no not, no blockages no separation in his thinking in the fall men separated and heaven seemed like some outside the world galaxy somewhere and then we're raised in religion that tell you when you die you go to heaven there's no such thing anywhere in the Bible there's no such statement all scripture don't get upset yes you're going to heaven but here's what happens when you get there you're going to find you've been there all along okay let me try that again is Christ in you okay you're slow now is Christ in you are you the habitation dwelling place temple of the Holy Ghost are you sure because some of you yes okay <laughs> is the kingdom of God in you are you the image of God are you the likeness of God these are not tricky questions <laughs> so one more time are you the image of God are you the likeness of God is the Holy Ghost in you is Christ in you is the kingdom in you are you God's everlasting habitation what more do you want go where come on heaven is God's abode that's all it means. Where God lives. And God chose you to be where He lives. So let the heavens declare the glory of God. Oh. I'm losing my voice trying to get you. So, I, I know this is hard, but listen. Don't get mad at me, okay? Go get mad at the person that told you. Slap them in the face and tell them it's not in the Bible. How many of you are interested in the Word of God? Come on. How, this, listen, how many of you, this is what you want right here. I know you have it in your cell phone and your iPad. That kind of makes me angry. So, how, this is the word right now. I know, okay, fine. But how many of you want the word? Talk to me. How many of you want the word? It's not here. It's not here. So, I don't know what to tell you. You know, you want to go somewhere when you die, like another galaxy. We're always looking to leave. We're always wanting to go somewhere else. Be with someone else. We're always thinking it's greener on the other side. And then you get there and you still got you. <laughs> so the reality is, we've been raised and we are seated in heavenly places right now in Christ Jesus. Does anyone believe that? And so you've already died and gone to heaven. What we need to do is bring the reality of it. And so if we've been restored, you see, I can't preach this everywhere. If I'm doing the salvation teaching, this is not what I'd be teaching. But I'm talking to people that have already been saved, been restored, been renewed. Jesus is already Lord, been born again, say something. And therefore, we got to bring our brain to get caught up to where we're supposed to be. So the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. In its first three chapters, we find by revelation the answers to the questions humans have had for many generations. In our search 
for the purpose of God and being in the image and likeness is here revealed. The reality of being separated unto him and to be holy and perfect as he is holy and perfect is unveiled in these chapters. In the book of Genesis, follow carefully, the Hebrew word sanctified, it's the beginning where this word is introduced and it shows not only that God is the God of creation, but God is the God that brings people onto himself. And so here we see that when God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, he lifted it above all other days and set it apart to a work and revelation about himself that exceeded in glory than all that has preceded it. I'm going to give you a Bible course. Is that all right? And therefore, it's, it's really important that you listen carefully. God sanctified the Sabbath day and made it holy. He didn't say that about any other day. And just so you understand, it's not Saturday and it's not Sunday. Just follow carefully. Of the previous six days from the beginning of creation to the making of human man, the key word was God created, but now God introduces a new word, a word that speaks of being set apart unto God. God sanctified, separated, higher than creation, something for which creation was to exist for. God pronounces all his work and the man he crowned over all of his work and said it's very good but not holy. The six-day work had no defilement, no sin, no death. This is before the fall and yet not holy. Man stood in the image of God in innocent but not holiness, undefiled, unproven, untried. Had Adam been holy by nature, he could have not have sinned. The seventh day needed to be separated, special, set apart, made holy for the work of making the man who's already good to become holy. You all with me? So Exodus chapter 31, go there. I want you to understand what is the meaning of Sabbath. Exodus chapter 31, let me know when you're there. And looking at verse 13. You all there? Can we read from verse 13? Let's read it together. Now this is the King James translation. Speak thou also unto the children of Israel. God here speaking to Moses, saying, Verily my Sabbaths, notice it's plural, you shall keep. For it is a sign, what is it? A sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that does sanctify you. God is saying, remember the Sabbaths, keep them, which means observe them, protect them. Why? Because they are a sign between me and you throughout your generations, so you will come to know me. Know that I am the Lord that does set you apart as well. So I've set apart a day to set apart a people. Verse 17, it's a sign. It's what? It's a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth. And on the seventh day he rested 
And the Lord was refreshed. I just love that. The Lord was what? He was refreshed. And so here you see, God tells them what is the Sabbath. It's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord that sets you apart. The Amplified says, I, the Lord, sanctify you, set you apart for myself. It's a sign that indicates it is a place of you and me. God sanctifies a day to declare that he will sanctify a people for himself. The day and the people are not merely related, but the day and the people become one. So that the people become the day. The seventh day was made holy by God, separated from all others as a pledge that he would make men holy and separated unto himself. And that day is a sign of that pledge that God and man are going to come together called the Sabbath. Are you all with me? Anybody hearing anything? So in the ages before the Sabbath day, the seventh day, creation period God's power and goodness had been displayed but the age to come the the Sabbath day or the seventh period was designed to be the order the dispensation in which God takes creation and raises it to a much higher realm the realm of sanctification to become one with God himself is to become his Sabbath to become his holy day, to become his resting place. Are you all getting this? So here we see that the word day that Moses used when he wrote Genesis is a Hebrew word called yom, say yom. Yom is is an Old Testament Hebrew word. Listen, it appears in the Old Testament 1,480 times. And it's translated into the English language at least 54 different words. So in the King James Version, Yom is translated as a day, as times, as today, as forever, as continual. So even though Yom in Scripture often does mean 24 hours, it also means a period of time. It means what? A period of time. And so it's, it's critically to understand, as an example, Numbers 20, verse 15 says, And we had dwelt in Egypt a long yom, a long time, translating meaning that that day covered 420 years. You all getting this now? It's a yom period. So in Genesis 2, 4, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day or yom that the Lord made the earth and the heavens. So here we see that the day embraces the meaning of all six days. The Bible also speaks of the day of temptation in the wilderness. That day was 40 years long. So I say all this to illustrate that God did something far more than bless the seventh day and sanctified it. He blessed a realm. He blessed a time. It's a place of his rest. It's a place of his glory. Setting it apart between him and man. That man might know, experience, 
and abide with God and God with man and that place of rest, that place of peace, that place of joy, that place of blessing is where God calls man and him to become into union. The Sabbath of God is not a Saturday. It's not a Sunday. The Sabbath of God is a people's union with God as one. That is God's rest. Are you all hearing me? God sets apart this day as his own day. It's really the day of the Lord when it's set apart where God declares, I'm giving it to you as a sign. It's a, it's a, it's, it points to. It's not a 24-hour period. It's a realm where you and I are unified. And in that place of our union, that's where I'm going to bless. That is the place I'm going to sanctify. That's what I call holy. Are you all with me? And in that place of union, God calls it the place where he can come and he can rest. He can dwell. Interesting to note, of each of the creative days in Genesis, from the first day to the sixth day, it's written, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Evening and the morning, second day, all the way to the sixth day. So, but when we hear about the seventh day, there's no such statement that the seventh day had it, it doesn't say anything about and the evening and the morning. Therefore, the record of the seventh day is still open. Sabbath is still open. Sabbath is still available. God is abiding in it. But He is active in His place of rest, creating a new creation. I know I'm giving you a lot of information, but I need you to get this and listen to it again and again. Anybody hearing something that's going to open your mind? Say yes. Revelations 3.14, it states, Jesus Christ, the beginning of the creation of God. As Adam was the beginning of the creation of man, Jesus Christ is the origination, the beginning of the creation of God. I need to explain that. Revelations 3.14 says, Thus said the Amen, the witness, the true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. That's how it reads in the King James, but that's not the original. Jesus was not the first God created because he's the creator, right? By him, the word made flesh. By him, all things came into existence that existed. And so he was not made. How it should read is, he is the firstborn or the origination of this new kind of man. So the first six days, God, these are the days that represent mankind, Adam. The seventh day period, the Sabbath experience, the realm of God's rest is the beginning of the new creation experience. God is continuing to work, creating a new species of humanity that have been raised to a higher standard. And so as Adam was the beginning of the creation of man, Jesus Christ is the beginning of the creation of the God kind. Y'all with me? He's the firstborn, the original of the God kind of man. Anybody here the God kind of man or woman? Say something. So, when God blesses the words, God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested. And so God takes creation and puts it into the position as to why he made creation from the place of being good but yet not holy to the place of where the creation of God can now come into the reason 
the motivation behind its creation. The reason God created you is to not only reveal himself through you, but for you to encounter true de deity. For you to encounter the truth of the state of your being from the origination as to what it is God set you apart for. Are, are you all with me? The word rested because in it, am I going too fast? Is this clear? So we understand it's not a Friday. It's not a Saturday. It's not a Sunday. It's a sign. What is it? And what is it a sign of? You and God. It's that which God sets apart for himself. It's the union of your oneness that God calls his Sabbath. And that place, in that realm, God blesses it. God sanctifies it. God sets it apart. And God says, this is my day. I don't you ever will forget that I'm looking for the day that you are that day to me. Help me, Lord. I would love to teach about the day of the Lord, and it's not a calendar date. It's a people. Okay. God is looking for the place of His rest. The word rest means to repose. A place to relax. To be supported by something. To be placed upon something you have faith in. A place you're able to trust in. Somewhere you go and you celebrate. That's what it means. So, Sunday morning would come and the people would line uh, and I would pray for them, listen to whatever their needs are. And I remember one particular time, this is many years ago, uh, one of the sweet ladies came up to me and she, she wanted me to... Now, Sundays, I don't know how... How many of you spend family time Sundays? Two people. Okay, well, great. In my culture... After church, the whole family comes to the house, and they're hungry, and it's, it's a lot of, like they do here, it's a lot of work, but it's also a time of fellowship, and food, and celebration, and thanksgiving, and family. It's a time I can relax. It's a time I can put my shorts on. It's a time if I have gas, I just let it go. It's home. Say that. It's what? It's my place to rest. And so, when I think about it, I celebrate. Something inside of me gets happy. So this lady comes up to me, and she wants me to pray for her cat. Her cat is sick, and she wants to know, is there such a thing as cat heaven? And you know, I don't really like cats, so. But I love this woman, I love this woman. What am I going to say to her? Sorry, when the cat dies, it's just gone. But I, I, I didn't want to say that. So she asked me to pray for a cat, and she actually pulled out a picture of the stupid cat for me to pray for. So because of my love for her, I prayed to the Lord Jesus, touch the cat. But the whole time I'm praying for the cat, I'm thinking when I'm done with this woman, and her cat, I'm going to go home, I'm going to eat, I'm going to rest, 
I'm going to relax. I'm going to have all my children, all my grandchildren. I'm going to eat until I'm so full. You see, some of you, when you watch how you eat, no, no, that's not my culture. In my culture, you eat until you can't breathe. So my stomach is sticking out. And it's just heaven. I don't know how to just describe it to you. So I begin to think about my Sabbath when I'm done. And immediately something begins to celebrate inside of me. So I really, Lord, touch this cat. Jesus, raise her from the dead. Whatever it takes, let me just go to my Sabbath. Tonight, I understand we got fish and steak for me. Right? So, when I'm done, I'm just going to have a general prayer for all of you wonderful people. And then I'm looking forward to my Sabbath. Look happy or something. So God creates everything. And he said, it's good. It's very good. But not holy. That introduces something about God himself. Now in this, you recognize there's God the creator. So all you see is God the creator, God the creator. And everything that he creates is good. And also he introduces a new side of him. He's a God that sets himself apart. He's holy. So now he introduces a new dimension of who he is. And he begins to describe, I'm going to set myself apart as a sign to bring about a people that are not good but are holy. Because holiness is not something you can just create. It's something that has to be developed. And I'm going to set people apart because it's like righteousness. It's like character. It's the fruit. You know, people will know you by your fruit. Gifts are given. Fruits are grown. And so God sets himself apart to expose something about himself as a holy God that sanctifies a time period, a realm. And this is a place of his repose, a place of his rest, a place of his celebration, a place that he has nothing to labor for, nothing to work, nothing to forgive, nothing to try to fix it's a place he can come and sit down and have his day with you as one with him. And he says, and in that place, I'm going to bless you. In that place, I'm going to sanctify you. In that place, I'm going to give you the encounter as to why I brought you thus far. The reason for your creation is to bring you into sanctification. In my couch at home, the corner seat is my seat. It's formed to my butt. So anytime Harry sits in my seat or any of my boys, I come and look at them. It's not fit for their behind. It's fit for my behind. And so I look at them until they know that's Baba's seat. They need to move. Now, I, this is just my house. I don't know about your house. But my house, uh, when I'm home, Everybody knows that's Baba's seat. Say Baba. That's dad. That's me. Baba's seat. So when I sit in my Baba seat, it fits my butt perfectly. I can recline and I am happy. I am full and I'm celebrating and I'm thankful. God says that is the state I'm going to bless. That finished work is what I'm going to bless. I'm going to bless you when you come to that finished work. 
I'm going to bless you when you come to that resting place. I want to bless you because now you have been set apart and you're now one with me. Sabbath is you and me. That's Sabbath. Sabbath is you and me having our day. And as my day, it is you are my rest. Are you all getting this? And I don't have to labor. I don't have to work. There's nothing you need me to do. We're coming into a Sabbath where there's nothing God is after. So God can come and repose, celebrate, sit in a place that he has faith in, trust in. He can put his weight down and know you can carry him. You ought to say hallelujah or something. So therefore, holiness, listen now. Holiness is not found by works. Blessings don't come by begging. And rest is only found in this day of God. So think of it. Blessings, holiness, and rest are all found in this one day called Sabbath. God so happy, so relaxed, having no work to do, can trust what he's sitting in, resting in, that this place he blesses and makes it holy. Why? It's because it's his finished work. And so when we hear Exodus 31 again, the Sabbaths are a sign between God and you that you may know Him. That in that place you're separated as He separated Himself unto each other. That that is God's day. You're making His day. He has also set apart unto Himself a people. He combined the day and the people and He's saying they are His day. They are His rest. Verse 17, it's a sign between me and the children of Israel forever. That's you. Because in the six days I created the heavens and the earth, but on the seventh day I have rested and I am refreshed. God is refreshed having a, having a people as his day. A people that he can come and rest in having no labor. Jesus said in Mark 2, the Sabbath was made for man, for the good of man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is the Lord also of the Sabbath. Jesus is the beginning, the ruler of this Sabbath. Quickly turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 4. And it says in verse 10, when you get there, shout out loud, amen. I'm giving you a lot, I know, but I need you to see this. Anybody being blessed? Three people. All right. Hebrews 4, let me know when you're there. All right, that's good. Verse 10. Let us, well, I'm jumping. For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief he is using that as the children of Israel and how they did not believe even though the work was finished from the foundation of the world. So verse 10, for he that enters into God's rest, he has also ceased from his own works as God did from his. It is a beautiful picture of man resting with God after the six days. God's last day. Now I want you to hear this carefully. God's last day is man's first day. Did you get that? What did I say? God did all of his work 
And in the end of the sixth day, he brought forth the man of his image, crowned him as ruler, and men entered into the rest of God, having done no work to rest from. Man's first day of life was lived out in God's Sabbath, God's seventh day. God made the heavens and didn't rest. The sun, moon, stars did not rest. He made all the creatures of the field did not rest, not until the seventh day. Like God said, my Sabbath are between me and you. The Lord's Sabbath is you and him. Man had done no work from which to rest, and yet he entered into God's rest. Not his own rest, not from his own works, but he came into God's rest. He became one with God's resting, coming into God's accomplishment without his own labor. Coming into God's accomplishments without his own labor. Man's first day is God's last day. And this is what man is introduced to. Verse 9 of Hebrews 4 says, There remains a rest for the people of God. Say that again. There remains a rest for the people of God. And again, verse 10 and 11. He that enters into his rest ceases from his own works. Let's labor, I want you to hear that, let's labor therefore to enter into that rest lest any man fall of the same example of unbelief. The, the Amplified says, let us endeavor, strive to enter into the rest of God unless we fall into that same example of disobedience as the children of Israel in the wilderness. God testifying against them in verse 3, saying, the Amplified reads, they shall not enter into my rest although his works had been completed and prepared and waiting for all who would believe from the foundation of the world. I'm almost done. Follow carefully. What does verse 11 mean? Labor to enter into his rest. How do you work to stop working? How do we labor to rest? Man's first experience with God was rest. He entered into God's accomplishments. But there shortly after, he was marred by man's efforts to make himself like God, trying to achieve something he already had, not knowing it, trying to get something he already has. By this single act, man broke away from God's blessing and holy day. He not only broke from God's Sabbath, but he also broke the relationship and fellowship that that day contained. If that day man had no need, listen carefully, in that day man had no need, in that day man's fellowship with God was his provision. I really need you to hear that really clearly. I'm going to say it nice and slow. In that day, God blessed it, remember? In that day, man's fellowship with God was his provision. When I was growing up, I didn't worry about how we're going to pay bills because my father took care of everything. My union with my father gave all the provision. I thought we were rich. I didn't know we were poor because my fellowship with my father was the, the sole purpose of my provision. So in that day, before man's fall, his fellowship with God was his provision. The oneness between God and man was God's rest. And man entered into all the beauty 
all the glory that that day contained. So when someone does not appreciate what they already have, they lose the value of what they have. And once the value or worth is lost, then so are all of its benefits. So man lost the benefits of his union, of his Sabbath. So how do we labor to enter into rest? Listen carefully. In the new creation of the seventh day, the resting is the working. One more time. The resting is the working. Say that with me. You'll get it in the more in a minute. The only thing you have to work is to stop working. Labor to enter into his rest. Entering into that rest, that accomplishment, that finished work that's already been finished and accomplished in Christ. It's done already. In that place, you enter into your rest. That is the labor. You labor to enter into rest, meaning that you are resting. That's your work. Are you all getting this? The only work you have to work, Philippians 2 tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God that works in you both to will and to do according to his good pleasure, which means purpose. So here's your work. Work out what he's worked in. Say that. Work out what he's worked in. The reality is, for you and I today, this is our Sabbath. It is an eternal day, always accessible to all those who want to enter into it. Let us therefore labor to enter into that rest. And that day is today. I said that day is today. And so I want to get my brother or sister to come back to the keyboard real quickly. And I just want you to hear me carefully. Paul said in Romans 13, the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Yes? Yes, somebody say yes. 2 Peter 1.19, as unto a light that shines in dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. God called the light day. You are the light of the world. I might as well say you are the day of the Lord. You are the day of the world. It's not, a, it's not some calendar day. It speaks of light and life. And therefore, when we understand what it is to enter into his rest, just start my dear I just need you to listen to this this has transformed my life and it continues to transform my life because can I just be honest with you the harder I try to be right and good and righteous the worse I got and so when I was a kid, you know, I would hear, you know, we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. So I used to always think, well, you know, when my turn comes, whoever's standing behind me is going to be out back there for a long time. Because I was raised with believing that, you know, you're going to 
God's going to bring back to your remembrance all the terrible things that you've done. And I'm thinking, that's a lot of stuff. And we're going to be standing out here a long time. I have forgotten a lot of it. Why would God remind me what's been buried in the sea of forgetfulness? Why would God bring back up again what's been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Help me. Why would God reintroduce what's been buried and dead and now I'm a new creation? I've been walking with God for decades. I don't remember everything. I've been to places and people walk up to me and say, don't you remember we went to junior high school together? I don't remember. I'm sorry. And you know, if my wife wants to know how many girlfriends you had, I don't remember. I don't want to remember. Why in God's name you want to take me back? And now there's these, these counseling things being done in the body of Christ where they take you back and back and take you back to the condition and the position of what you had dealt with and how you were violated when you were young and you have to now deal with that warfare and relive it again. God have mercy on us. So here's my counsel. You are a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Oh, you ought to be happy. And I don't need to live where I once was. And so I had questions. I would search scripture to understand what does it mean to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And what I learned is I come and I face the price he paid for my freedom. I come and I learn. He judged me on the cross. That was judgment's day. I'm free. I've been delivered. I've been born again. I don't have to go back and relive the past. I've been set free by the price that the Lamb paid. So now I gotta change my thinking. I gotta stop repenting and repenting and repenting and I'm thankful God is gracious but I got to start changing my mind where I'm not trying to labor to work if you will so I can just feel better about myself because we've been conditioned listen we've been conditioned where when we repent and we are sorry for the sins we've committed and every one of us has some tree you shouldn't eat of but we all go there and eat it. And so, do I fail? Well, yeah. Um, so it's not like I'm done. But, but here's, here's the thing. I believe. I believe. This is just my belief. So don't get mad at me if you don't agree. I don't care what you think. No offense. This is my life. So I believe that I am in this earth, one with God, and Jesus Christ is my personality, my experience, and my encounter in who God is. And He's become my identification. I've lost my identification. And I've received now his identification. So when I behold in the mirror, I see the glory of God. I don't mean physically, 
Paul said, behold in the mirror, and I told you this story, I think, in the past. One day I'm shaving and I'm looking in the mirror and that scripture, 2 Corinthians 3.18, comes to mind. Behold in the mirror the glory of God. And I'm lo looking in the mirror. And I'm thinking, come on, God, now you know and I know there's no glory there. Behold the glory of God. Behold in the mirror the glory of God, you're changed. All you got to do is see it so you can be changed. And I'm looking. Now, come on, God. Now, you know and I know and I know that you know the things I've done and do. And I can fool the whole world, fool my wife. I can't fool you. So just let's just, let's just knock this off, okay? Behold in the mirror the glory of God. So I'm looking. I'm hearing God. Behold in the mirror the glory of God. And I'm looking in the mirror. And I'm seeing fat face, me. Finally, said, I'm arguing with God in my heart. Lord, I have come short. I think things. I look at things. I sometimes get tempted by things. I can't see the glory. And God yells at me. And says, stop looking in the mirror to see what you've done. Look in the mirror and see what I've done. I want you to die and get out of the picture. And look at me. And so I began to look at him. And the more I believe he is as I am and I am as he is, the less I deal with stuff now. I don't have to deal with the temptations like I used to. Okay, I've gotten a little older, but I'm not that old. Don't be fooled. I'm 40. <laughs> this fat is muscle. <laughs> so the reality is, I accept it now. I begin to see myself from his perspective. And his perspective is that I'm finished. His perspective is I'm holy. His perspective is I'm the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I'm not that person I once was. God sees you from your completion. While he works on you to bring it out to where you experience it, but God fellowships with your conclusion. Oh, come on, help me. God sees you and fellowships with you from your finished work. He paid the price. It is finished. There's no more sin to pay for. The sacrifice is done. The blood has been shed. The devil has already been defeated. God destroyed the works of the enemy. As far as I'm... Well, okay, this is really going to flip you out probably, but... I don't believe in the devil. No, no, get that, hold it. I know it's there, but I don't believe in it. I believe in Jesus Christ. So I don't need to live in a dark place anymore. I know it's existence, but I don't believe in it. Not in my life. So when people say, the devil is the prince of the power of the air. Not my air. That's not what I breathe. I don't live there anymore. Why? Because I'm finished. And in this place of being finished, God blesses me. Listen, sometimes I'm amazed on the blessings of God. And all I do is cry, not sorrow, but celebration. And so I need you to stand to your feet and begin to take this in personally. God sees you and fellowships with you from your completion from your finish 
Anybody receiving? God has already done the work, paid the price, and He's working it in you so it can become your personal encounter, your personal experience. God takes us from glory to glory. And once you taste, it opens your eyes. God said, taste and see. Not taste and eat, taste and see. Once you taste, it opens your eyes to see this wonderful wonder of God's wonderful grace. It's always been His grace. This is why God finished it before He started it. And I don't have time to explain to you, but the tree of good and evil was part of the plan because man had no idea what he had. Man had no idea of the mercy of God, the goodness of God, the grace of God, all part of the image of God. Anyone here grateful for God's mercy? Anybody grateful for God's grace? How did you know? How did you know about God's grace? How did you know about God's mercy? How did you know about God's kindness? That's His image. That's who you are. The only way you experience is because, you know, man fell. Because the plan has always been for the last Adam, not the first. In the fall, man awakened his consciousness to become aware of his own frailty. And what did God do? He immediately covered his nakedness and performed a sacrifice. And the first priestly duty God did was when he covered Adam and Eve with skin. There was a lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. Just put it together. And God covered the man of his image. And now man's eyes were open. And God said, now, knowing good and evil, he's one of us. He understood, but he wasn't holy. Because holiness is not just something that you just, you know, by faith receive. It's a walk with God that you choose to live righteously. You choose to live holy. What made Abraham so pleasant to God is that Abraham didn't do it by his works. His own faith believing in the God that spoke it to him, accounted it to him as righteousness. So your righteousness is Jesus Christ. And if you have him, you're righteous already. If you have him, you're holy already. If you have him, you're perfect already. Don't let any man tell you no one is perfect. Let's excuse me. Christ is in you. You are perfect. You're not going to be perfect when you die. You're already perfect. And the sooner your mind adjusts to the truth of God's word, the truth will make you free. Somebody say amen. So come on, with every, with every hand raised. Father, you said a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. One day living in heaven, the next day living in hell. One day rejoicing in worship and the next day falling in sin and darkness. And we are tossed to and fro like a drunken man and circulating, battling, fighting devils, dealing with the secrets of our own minds, living in the private world of our own imaginations, always pleading, asking, looking to be free. But you've already opened our prison door. You took the keys of death and hell. We've already been set free. Now, Father, open our minds that we may see that we've already been delivered, that we may come out of our cages 
and live the life that righteously belongs to us. Live the life that is already ours. Inherit the inheritance we've already received. We've already received our reward, but that we may be able to enjoy what you've already given us. In Christ, it's done. In Christ, it is finished. In Christ, we are victorious. In Christ, the enemy is defeated. And so, Father, in the name that is above all other names, open our minds that we all may see. It is finished. Somebody say, somebody say, somebody say, I love you, church. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our GGG event recording. To get involved with our growing community or connect with us, reach out to us on our website, gggministry.com, or any of our other social media platforms. It's been an honor serving you all, and I pray a blessing and favor.